This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Thursday, October 20th. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, County takes up family planning again. Telluride Academy welcomes new executive director. Lego Robotics prepares for regional competition and a mountain weather forecast. It's better late than never for family planning in San Miguel County, as an expired initiative from a past budget year appears to be getting new life. With a report from this week's meeting of the San Miguel Board of County Commissioners, KOTO's Gavin McGough has the story. Back in January of 2021, San Miguel County set aside money for the Telluride Medical Center and the Uncompagre Medical Center to help their uninsured patients access family planning services. But 2021 came and went, and neither facility asked for any of that money. Thus, the MOU, or Memorandum of Understanding, which set those funds aside, has expired. County Public Health Director Grace Franklin says that while those facilities might not have had the bandwidth in 2021 to request the funds, there are signs of renewed interest. And there's a lot of transition, staff turnover, leadership turnover at both med centers. Um, And it seemed like this project and the MOU fell through the cracks. Not much happened. Um, And they never requested a reimbursement from um, the county for any um, family planning contraceptive access services. Now, Franklin says Uncompagre Medical Center, or UMC, has reached out to San Miguel County asking for funds to help with those very services. And they came um, with a request for funding support for the exact same project to offset some of the costs for those un- and underinsured. Family planning services include access to contraceptives as well as pregnancy option counseling, both of which reduce unwanted pregnancy. Taxpayer money, in accordance with federal law, cannot be used to administer abortions. UMC is requesting the funds for its uninsured patients, says Franklin. Kelly, the uh, medical director for UMC, stated there's about 780 individuals that they serve of reproductive age, and about 60% are un- or underinsured. In her presentation to the Board of County Commissioners, Franklin asks for advice on how to proceed. She says that the funds would benefit public health, but because of timing, she's unsure where the money might come from. From a public health standpoint, this is a no-brainer, but I'm like, from a budget and a logistics perspective, I'm not really sure where that sits for us mid-October, right? In a statement echoed by other board members, Commissioner Hillary Cooper says she supports getting UMC access to funding, but wasn't sure how to proceed. I would be in support of supporting our family planning services in any and every way possible and leave it up to you, your expertise to figure out how best to do that. The board ultimately decided to make room in the upcoming 2023 budget for reimbursing UMC. They additionally asked Franklin to reach out to the Telluride Medical Center to see what their interest or family planning needs might be. Telluride Academy is under new leadership. Jason Merritt recently became executive director of the nonprofit that has been providing camps and outdoor opportunities to children each summer for the past four decades. KOTO News spoke with Merritt about his new role and his favorite parts of the job. 
you're stepping into the position as the executive director of the Telluride Academy. How does that feel? It's incredibly exciting. It is a bit intimidating, but I'm just honored and I'm thrilled and I couldn't be more excited to be a part of, you know, what I feel is a foundational institution in Telluride. Certainly our family and just about every, all of the, our peers have participated in Academy over the years, as is true for many generation, generations at this point. Um, so it's an honor, and it's an extraordinary opportunity to um, help facilitate the continued evolution and growth of, of the Academy as a part of the community. You were most recently working at Mountain Film. You are a known entity in this community. But can you share a little bit about maybe your background and what brought you to this new position? There's a lot of ways to answer that, I guess. <laughs> As you mentioned, you know, most recently being at Mountain Film, that's the most sort of relevant professional experience, certainly, and pertinent to my track in nonprofit management, the nonprofit world in general. Um, the executive director there, Sage Martin, has been instrumental in my path. Um, she's been a wonderful mentor and support to me. In a larger sense, you know, I spent a lot of time at the ski resort, about 12 years. I should mention Heather Young was also a tremendous mentor and boss to me. And I learned a lot from her just about being in a professional atmosphere and, and working on a large team. And coming to Telluride in general, I showed up in the early 90s, as did a lot of people of, of my age and, and generation. And one thing led to another. And Ended up carving out a space. I'm, I'm married um, with two beautiful children, and now we have a life here that we wouldn't trade for anything. You are the head of this large organization um, that does a lot of really wonderful things, but every job comes with its own challenges. What do you see as um, maybe some of the yeah the challenges or the the hurdles that you see for either yourself or Telluride Academy as an organization in the coming few years? Well, like most of us in town, I mean, there, there's, there continues to be challenges related to staffing, housing being at the core of that, um, especially with a seasonal operation. There are certain um, just difficulties in being able to staff a large number of people for a seasonal job when it's difficult to live here. So... That's certainly not new, and that's not unique to Telluride Academy, but I think that's going to be the ongoing primary challenge for most organizations in the community. Um, for me personally, it's it's <laughs> being the new kid at school. It's uh, There's just a lot for me to learn in terms of operational details, um, the, def the sort of seasonal ebb and flow of activity and where the heavy lifts are um, when we have our opportunities for more sort of thoughtful planning and, and strategic um, visioning. To that end, just super fortunate to have the team in place that I'm joining who are all incredibly um, proficient at their jobs and extremely dedicated to Telluride Academy. Um, that just speaks volumes to the quality of the mission and the the level at which they deliver on that mission and, and the people who work there believe really genuinely in what they're doing. 
going to the flip side of that, um, what are some of the things that you're really excited about or looking forward to in this new position and for the Academy moving in the next few years? You know, I'm very excited to just be a part of um, seeing how the programs get built and designed, um, all of the children and teens that participate, hearing about their experiences, the instructors who join our team, who I think have equally impactful, informative experiences, um, and just the the sort of joy of being free to play in the outdoors and all of the the ways that makes us lighter and happier and healthier. It seems like Telluride Academy has an infinite number of programs every year. <laughs> Someone says like, oh yeah, my kid's doing this. I was like, I didn't know they did that. Um, if you were to be able to participate, be a participant in one of the camps mm. that Telluride Academy holds, which one would you want to be part of? Ooh, gosh. I don't know. I'm not sure I can, I, I'm going to get in trouble if I pick one over another probably. <laughs> but um, it's a tough question, Julia. I think you've, I think you've cornered me here. I'd like to come back with a written answer at a later date. We'll allow it. <laughs> Jason, thank you so much for taking a couple minutes to chat with me and congratulations on your new position. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kodo, and um, we'll see you all this summer. The Telluride High School's STEM lab is bustling. Students are at computers, studying how to turn lightning into electricity, Others set up robot obstacle courses on a mat on the floor. The Robotics Club is a collaboration between the Telluride School District and the Pinhead Institute. Currently, the club is practicing and preparing for an upcoming regional competition in Fruta. So you push the couch in and then the TV flips up and a little energy cell comes out of the TV and you have to try and get it to land in this little square that's behind there. And then we also have the windmill. Normally there's like Right Kitten Koenig is in fifth grade and a member of the robotics team. Push the little red thing in and make the windmill, windmill spin and then all the batteries come out. The kids have to like code a robot, build a robot and complete the missions that they're given every year. And then on top of that they have to come up with an innovation project that could be something that can help the world or their community. That's Luis Tavares, coach of the Lego robotics team. The competition has two parts. The first is an innovation project. That's where fourth grader Charlie Clark is spending his time. We don't know what it looks like yet, except it's lightning, except using it as a source. It's like a lightning rod, but different. Like once lightning hits it, it will be generated into electricity. It won't just go to the ground. The second half is the robotics missions. At this week's practice, Koenig and 7th grader Lily Pearl Williamson are working to get their robot, named Wally Mammoth, to drive to a small structure without hitting any other Lego structures along the way, use an electronic arm to flip a lever so a small barrel or battery rolls into a car, pushing it off its parking spot. Then the robot makes its way back to the starting location. So right now we are um, coding the hybrid car, and the mission is to... Hold on, let's... The mission is to flip that red lever to get the um, uh, cell into the car, get it to come down, and then get the robot to come back. And we've been working on this for like four weeks, probably. 
uh, which is like eight classes, trying to get this one to work, and now we're hoping that it works better because we made them up, because we changed up the uh, robot. Forrest Olson is in fifth grade and explains how the coding works. We have an app which we we have like word blocks is the coding format we use which are blocks that you can connect together to make the robot move for example there are blocks that like say move forward like you can choose the direction in for blank um for like a number of rotations, degrees, or whatever. After minutes of tweaking and zhuzhing the code, the robot begins to move more reliably as it should. It works, it works. It still works. We still get 10 points for that. It's painstaking and frustrating at times, but important. Small adjustments could mean big wins in just a few short weeks. The Telluride Lego Robotics Club will be heading to Fruta on Saturday, November 12th, for a regional qualifying competition. If the team makes the top six, they will head to the state championship in December. Calling all artists. The Telluride Arts District's small grant application is officially open. Grants range from $300 to $2,000 and can support projects or professional development. Whether you're a writer, performer, sculptor, painter, candlestick maker, or something in between, the small grants could help you get that creativity out into the world. Applications are due by December 16th. And new this year are Augment Grants. Augment is a local nonprofit looking to foster and support the local music culture in the greater Telluride region. This year, Augment is teaming up with Telluride Arts to offer additional small grants earmarked for local musicians. Applications for both the Small Artist Grants and the Augment Grants are available at telluridearts.org. Colorado Parks and Wildlife have arrested three men in a poaching investigation in Park County. CPW executed search warrants at two houses in Colorado Springs and one in Fremont County. A vehicle, firearms, and wildlife parts were seized as evidence in relation to the investigation. In a news release, CPW Area Wildlife Manager Mark Lamb notes they take poaching crimes very seriously, adding, quote, When you poach an animal, not only is it illegal, but you are stealing from the people of Colorado. The men were arrested on suspicion of felony and misdemeanor charges, including willful destruction of elk, failure to prepare game meat for human consumption, and hunting without a proper and valid license. Tis the season for crunchy leaves, crisp mornings, and every basic girl's favorite flavor. It's pumpkin spice season! According to Magnify Money, a financial management company, Colorado is the number one most pumpkin spice latte curious state in the U.S. Looking at Google Trends data, Magnify Money finds Colorado is the state with the most Googled searches for pumpkin spice lattes, followed by Arizona, Washington, Nevada, and New Mexico. So if you're leaning into the autumnal drink spirit, in Colorado, you're not alone. 
Activists from the Ute Mountain Ute Tribe in White Mesa, Utah, are leading a rally and spiritual walk this Saturday. They're protesting a radioactive waste dump and other activities at a nearby uranium mill. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Clark Adamidis from KSUT and KSJD has more. The White Mesa Uranium Mill, run by Energy Fuels, Inc., is the only active uranium mill in the U.S. The Ute Mountain Ute Tribe have long protested the mill. Among the greatest concerns is that the mill receives toxic, radioactive waste from other manufacturing processes for long-term storage. But regulators have found that storage efforts are inadequate. Contaminants from storage ponds have been detected in nearby groundwater, and the company has failed to contain the release of carcinogens into the air by improperly storing radioactive cells. Residents at White Mesa have other concerns, too. Here's Michael Badback, who says there have been changes to his water supply, changes he believes are due to activities at the mill. When we run our water in the morning, you can smell the minerals, and it's really bad. It smells like boiled eggs that have been burnt. This demonstration continues the decades-long fight by tribal members to push for the mill to be permanently closed. The walk starts on Saturday at 11 a.m. at the White Mesa Community Center. For KSUT and KSJD, I'm Clark Adamitis. Ongoing warming in the southwest has bottomed out major reservoirs on the Colorado River and raised alarms among cities and farmers that rely on the water. But it's also a threat to the environment in one of the world's most recognizable wonders, the Grand Canyon. As Melissa Sivany from KNAU reports, a long-standing program of artificial floods to save the canyon's beaches now faces an uncertain future. In the autumn of 2012, a flood swept through the Grand Canyon, not one provided by nature, but by the engineers who cranked open the bypass tubes at the base of Glen Canyon Dam. It was the start of a program heralded by many as a triumph. Floods happened again in 2013, 14, 16, 18, and then... And then we hit these drought conditions. Hydrologist Paul Grams says the program is in trouble. Lake Powell is three-quarters empty and just 40 feet above the level where hydropower production stops. It's risky now to release floods. So we have a condition now where it's been uh, now four years since the last high flow and the sandbars have eroded a lot. Grams and a crew of scientists gather at Lee's Ferry on the Colorado River to launch their annual rafting trip. Boats inflate and crew members sort through stacks of equipment piled high on the riverbank. Karen Kessner and Shannon Sartain are two of the scientists involved. We are going to be mapping sandbars and we'll have crews looking at vegetation on sandbars. And essentially we're monitoring change. For me, this project started before I was born, so it's kind of cool to be able to contribute to it. 30 years of data from river trips like this one show how beaches disappeared after the dam was built, then started to repair themselves with the help of artificial floods. Now they're vanishing again, says sandbar scientist and river guide Katie Chapman. I mean, you'll be floating downstream and um, sometimes you'll see just active sand coming off. And then sometimes you get these big, we call them shark bites, where this huge concave zone out of a sandbar will just collapse all at once. Chapman says the beaches are vital. They create backwaters for native fish and habitat for plants and animals. And for more than 20,000 river runners in the Grand Canyon every year, 
the sandbars themselves are one of the kind of the only um, durable, non-fragile environment that everyone can camp on. Um, you don't have to go bushwhacking to find a place to camp. Some scientists want to save the program by switching floods to spring when snowmelt bolsters Lake Powell's level. That could help balance the need for floods with the demand for hydropower. The decision is made by the U.S. Bureau of Reclamation with advice from representatives of tribal nations, water users, and environmental groups. Among them, Matt Rice of American Rivers. So if we fail, you know, the Grand Canyon could go dry. If Lake Powell drops to Deadpool, no water can pass through the dam. That's not expected to happen within the next five years. But Rice points out in a climate-changed world, the drought may never end. You know, ultimately, you know, we, I think we have one tool, right? It's like we have to use less water. Rice says his goal is to make sure the pain of water shortage doesn't fall unfairly on the environment. I think about the Colorado River and the Grand Canyon every morning when I wake up and every night when I go to bed. I have to be optimistic. You know, if this if this if this place isn't isn't worthy of saving, then what in the world is? The U.S. Bureau of Reclamation declined to give an interview for this story, but told KNAU in an email the agency is in the process of determining whether to release a fall flood this year. I'm Melissa Sivany. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for mostly clear skies tonight with a low around 35 degrees. Friday should be sunny during the day and clear at night with a high around 50 degrees and a low in the mid-30s. Saturday expects sunny skies with a high near 50 degrees. Winds could gust up to 40 miles per hour. Saturday night calls for a 90% chance of rain and snow showers with a low around 30 degrees. Winds could gust up to 55 miles per hour. This has been the news for Thursday, October 20th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.